Welcome to Travel Talk with T. In this time of disconnection, we at PredictX want to stay as connected as possible. That is why we are inviting key innovators from the business travel industry to have virtual tea with us and share what they've been up to while the travel industry recovers. In today's market, where we need data more than ever before, I am thrilled to talk to Jan from STR. He has been my go-to source for all things hotel throughout my career. I've always been amazed at SDR's business model, collecting only three data points to deliver great insights and analytics, as well as hotel decision-making tools. We will be discussing what trends we're seeing in the data, as well as how the hotel market will perform in the future. Welcome, welcome. Um, I always have to start off with, what are you drinking? And show us your teacup, because I think it says a lot about a person. It's their teacup, so you have to share both with me. Yes, okay. I know it's supposed to be tea, but it's actually a coffee yeah, mug. Is it a Starbucks? Yes, it's from my hometown, Bielefeld in Germany. Okay. <laughs> so they make the custom make them for each town, I guess. And so when I was there last time, I'm like, I gotta have this for situations like this. So now, what are you drinking? I did in honor of your adorable children. Okay, so I did this teacup, and the reason I like it is it says, I love you to the moon and back. Oh, I have read that many times. <laughs> I figured you had. So I did this cup in honor of your adorable children, yes. that, knowing that it would resonate with you, my friend. So, yes, it, see, I can tell does. by the smile on your face that yes. I picked the right mug for you. And but you did notice I knew that was a Starbucks mug, so I knew that right away. I was going to tell mm -hmm. you that I've been at way too many Starbucks. <laughs> yes. yes, like a frequent traveler in any airport, right? Yes, any airport. Everyone would have done a nice hot drink for us everywhere around the world. So, given um, you know advice for people in general today, what career advice would you give them? And secondly, especially during the COVID where we have a significant amount of our friends uh, currently searching for employment, what advice would you give them uh, based on COVID? Keep learning, right? And the, the, the truth is, this is a self-serving statement, but data is king, right? You have to, no matter what job you end up in, there's a high likelihood you will bump into large amounts of data. Mm -hmm. And so the, the ability to dig into the data and slice and dice it, either with Excel or advanced levels of Excel, or have learning R or some you know, statistical program language to really dig into it. And then being able to take what you think is the story and produce it coherently in PowerPoint or in Microsoft Word, that's key. You know, so I, I read somewhere sculpting information out of data is the profession of the 21st century. And that, again, self-servingly, that rings true with me, but that is what everybody needs to do. It doesn't matter if you're a front desk manager or you're the, the, the restaurant maitre d', you have to deal with data and a lot of them. In order to be more profitable, you have to understand the data and your customers. And so that is what I think, especially in this environment, if you happen to be furloughed or not working full time, this is the time to get a new toolkit, to get a new tool set, and it should revolve around interpreting data. You know, it's so funny you say that when people ask me what's, you know, the keys to my success, and I've always said data, 
you know, understand it, um, you know, embrace it and learn how to leverage it. You know, it's in the data. <laughs> so, well, you know, I'm addicted to data and I've been addicted to your data from day one. Um, you know, it's been my go-to source throughout all my different chapters of my career. It's always been what I've done, gone to for anything hotels related. And what amazes me, just blows my mind, is that here you are collecting only, what, three data points? And yet you've turned it into this amazing business that you provide great intel and insights back in the marketplace. But some people may not know STR. They may, you know, I don't know, I'm in the cave. <laughs> but can you kind of just explain <laughs> a brief overview for those who may not be familiar with STR? Um, and then as we start delving into kind of some of the data points, but kind of give a, that 30 second commercial of STR. So on a very high level, very simplified, we collect three numbers and we make three numbers. And I want to say that's it. That's of course not it. There's a lot more to it. But on the surface, we're asking every hotel for every day or every night, how many rooms did you have available? What we call supply. How many rooms did you sell? We call demand. And how much rooms revenue, rooms revenue was generated. We take the three numbers and we make out of them ADR, occupancy and, and ref par. And because we get it from the property level, we can roll it up any way that you want, any way that we want. So luxury hotels in New York, you know, all hotels in Texas, or what more often is used as a competitive set. But an individual property picks five or six or 10 hotels and says, what's the average ADR occupancy rev par for those hotels? Because the important thing to remember is that the individual property that comes to us never leaves this, leaves our office again, ever. It's always confidential. We always make the data available in aggregate. And yeah. that's the power of the system. Now, I said that's on the surface because we, of course, dig a lot deeper. So we have, for the higher end luxury and upper upscale hotels, they tell us, is the room that you're selling sold or increments of 10 or more, what's called a group? Or increments between one and nine, what's called transient. So group versus transient interplay on the higher end, super important. Then every month we collect PL data from around a thousand or so little less properties. So not just the revenue line, but also the expenses and then the NOI GOP line. Um, we have now, because we're part of the CoStar family, we purchased about six months ago or so, we have access to a huge transaction database. So we just published our first quarter transaction almanac. Um, we have a pipeline. We have a huge department that, that does nothing but dig into where are people building. You know, what are they building? How long does it take to build? Whatever. And then don't forget, we do this globally. We had very, very deep insights very early on when on January 24th, which was Chinese New Year, there's always a dip in Chinese travel because people stay home. And then the following three days, there's this huge uptick in demand. This year, there was a dip and then nothing. And we're like, whoa, there's <laughs> something very wrong with that picture. And that was the first in our data implication of COVID was on January 25, 26. And then obviously we saw it progress around the world rather rapidly. So that's sort of what we do in a nutshell, performance benchmarking that keeps the individual property data confidential. You know, this is one of these moments that it just fell off a cliff. And we've never seen anything like this in our history and no playbook about you know, how to manage this. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, 
and we all know that it dropped and it, it dropped significantly. How's it trending now? How's um, occupancy trending? And and then during in the midst of this, what's been happening with ADR? I mean, we've certainly seen in the airlines it's down significantly over a prior year, and we've got some good data from ARC, the Airline Reporting Corporation, on what's going on there. But can you talk about it from the hotel perspective? So we're taping this um, on the, the 21st of July. If you had asked me last week, I would have said, oh, it's pretty good. Unfortunately, I just looked yesterday at the TSA data. So yes. they tell us how many people go through their checkpoints, you know, and that was down last week over the prior week. So the week ending July 18th compared to the week July 11th, on five of the seven days, the number of people flying decreased. Right. I haven't seen the weekly occupancy data yet, but I'm afraid that there's going to be a relationship there. So the number of rooms sold has rapidly increased from the bottom. The trough was the week of April the 11th, where we sold 7 million rooms in that week. Now, that's interesting because that's a million room nights a night in an environment where there was no demand. There was no corporate travel, there was no group travel, and people stayed home. And still, the US hotel industry sold a million room nights a night. So, oh, that's fascinating, you know? So that is sort of our, our floor, right? Our, our low, low watermark, so to speak. And then of course you dig into what that is. And I talked to a bunch of you know, CEOs and friends in the economy and center state sector, you know, and there are people. And so there were lots of little pieces of demand to sort of make up that number. So that was interesting. So now we're going up, you know, last week we sold, you know, 60 million room nights or so. That is, you know, still call that two or so million room nights a, night, a, a, a day, that's, you know, well below the three and a half million, you know, that we sold at, at peak. And it's going to be quite a while until we get back to that. The occupancies are still not at 50%. And the reality is that we're reporting occupancies that only look at the open hotels. Okay. But roughly a quarter of the luxury hotels are closed and roughly 20% of the upper upscale hotels are closed. So once they'll come back online, that mathematically depresses the occupancy. Right. So unfortunately, we're, what we're saying is, oh, the occupancy isn't 50% yet. And by the way, it probably won't get there for a while. Now on the room right side, room rights were down in June, let's say like 25% or so, 30%. Um, we don't think that that is an active yield management decision. We don't think that there are yield managers actively saying, oh, let me cut my rate. We think this is just math. It's just group rooms not being there. And so the higher rate of group rooms not being there, the, the demand that you're getting is paying less, you know, because they're, I mean, it's, you, you sell to consumers, to, 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 to leisure travelers, you know, who are historically not paying as much anyways. There's no corporate demand, there's no group demand. So it's not that we're actively discounting. It's that's just people come to us through the lower rated channels. So do you see any other behavioral shifts? For example, the tier type of um, tier down, tier up type of trending that's occurring based on COVID? 
Yeah, so it's lower end over upper end, interstate over urban. So economy, mid-scale, upper mid-scale hotels, lower ended extended state properties have done pretty well. Um, mid-scale and economic properties in June ran occupancies of over 50%. Lower end extended stay properties in the week of April the 11th, the worst week we ever recorded, had a 50% occupancy. They're now back at 70. So they're doing really well. A lot of construction crews, you know, a lot of people who self-quarantine and some people just live in hotels, turns out. So that's one shift. It's, it seems to be the shift towards the lower end. And the other one is that when we look at the room demand, of course, because there are no groups and because there's no corporate transient demand, urban hotels are really, really hurting. And hotels in highway locations, or what we call small town metros, so sort of tertiary markets, are doing better. Their occupancies are over 50% as well. So when it comes to the recovery and the hotel recovery, what, what stands out in, from SDR's perspective in the reporting? What trends are standing out the most? Anything that you haven't already listed? I mean, the number of COVID cases last week was you know, basically under 500,000, just under 500,000. That's super scary. Mm. You know? The AHLA last week and Merritt announced today that they want, they're going to have people wear masks in their properties starting on the 27th. That is what is needed. If the number of COVID cases continues to go up, CEOs of publicly traded or privately held companies, their CEO, but their chief risk officer in this instant, mm -hmm. they're not going to put their people out on the road if they could get sick and the company will get sued. But I think that's like a secondary concern. The primary concern is I don't want my people to get sick. I want them to be productive. So they're going to stay home and they're going to continue to be on Teams and Zoom and WebEx and what have you, which is where we live these days. So I'm very, very concerned about the number of COVID cases continuing to rise with and the implication that has for the corporate travel piece. I think it is unrealistic to assume that there will be group travel in Q3 and Q4. I don't see it. All I hear is about cancellations. I don't hear about groups actively saying, oh yeah, and then we're going you know, to Orlando or whatever. You know? So hopefully that will reverse in Q1, but that also might be early. The leisure traveler, back in full force. You know, We see that in the Florida numbers, we see that in the Texas numbers. Unfortunately, with those with with pent-up demand yeah people were not social distancing or wearing masks and we're now unfortunately seeing surges in those countries in those states in those counties where people went to vacation and so then therefore those beaches get closed again or those cities get closed again and people can't go there again and that then means that room demand is going to continue to slow or even drop in the week for um july the uh july the 11th compared to two weeks prior 12 out of the 13 markets in florida had demand declines basically florida demand declined south carolina demand went down texas demand 
went down when compared to the two weeks prior. Why is that? Because the numbers of COVID cases are up and the press talks about it. And people are saying, look, I don't really want to go there. That's a problem. So are you notice any other behavioral shifts like airlines used to always be the early indicator driven by the fact most policies required them to book it 14 days in advance where a hotel wasn't ever required to do that. Mm-hmm. So air always gave you earlier indications over hotels, but uh, based on all the different other trends that are occurring, uh, do you think that's going to shift where they're going to purchase hotel first and or drive further than they've ever driven for as far as in the corporate and the leisure space? I think the second part for sure. We can relate the number of people who go through TSA checkpoints to room demand. And in a normal week, call it in February or so, the ratio was roughly 60%. You could explain, quote unquote, 60% of room demand with people flying. That relationship has completely broken, right? The number of people flying versus the number of people using rooms is only 25% or so. So that meaning there are multiple people driving. So that part, I totally agree with you with. I think what you said first is that people book earlier. I think the indications are it's exactly reversed. People don't book at all. And they literally just show up. I, ha- I had a conversation with one of the larger brand guys who said, man, yeah, we literally just have walk-in traffic, something that historically hasn't really been the case because our occupancies were so high, but consumers know that we're not full. And so then they just walk in. It's amazing, even with the risk of, of the ones being closed. I guess I'm an overplaner that would absolutely give me such incredible stress that I couldn't do that. So continuing on the, the recovery phase, uh, both buyers and suppliers are trying to figure their way through this journey. And you know, it's just not no playbook here. So what advice would you give both sides of that equation? Buyers um, who are trying to figure this out and uh, suppliers that are also struggling in this whole journey on the corporate side of recovery. So I don't know if we talked about it, but this conversation, I've been part of this conversation since call it 2006, you know, where we said, look, this is a long-term relationship. You know, in 2006 and seven, it was clearly a seller's market. There weren't rooms to be had. And then 2008 and nine, it was clearly a buyer's market where there were plenty of rooms to be had. And then, you know, 2016 to 2019, again, it was a seller's market. There were no rooms. And in all of those environments, I always said, look, think about this long-term, like don't just, whichever side you're on, don't just stick it to them. You, know, like you want this other person to be there for you when things are suddenly, when the shoe's on the other foot. And hopefully that is going on today. Now, it seems that room demand is gonna be hard to come by, you know, going forward. And so hotel salespeople have to be very, very, very good at to digging up new room demand. On the buyer side, yeah, I think it's pretty easy to say, look, this is what we want. These are our parameters. You know, I, you know, sort of not take it or leave it because obviously your travelers need to be comfortable, you know, so safety and security comes first, you know, maybe then price, you know, then location, I don't know. But safety and security is of course the most important thing. And I think that will drive the negotiation and, and the conversation, I should say, 
going forward between the buyer and the supplier. Do you think there'll be any shifts to on length of stay when it comes to um, certainly the corporate side? I'm always interested in what leisure is doing so that they'll take fewer trips but stay longer as a result of wanting to kind of reduce their risk. But also, you know, there, there may be some that they need to, you know, stay into a hotel for a longer period of time just because of the requirements there. Do you think that's going to occur? I'm afraid it's going to be fewer trips and as short as they as you can be, just sort of in and out. Um, I think there are two sort of mind frames we have to, we should think about. One is today and the next four quarters, three mm -hmm. quarters. And then the post-vaccine, hey, you know, maybe you don't have to get sick. You know, hey, maybe we can inoculate ourselves as a traveling public from this. And then what will trips look like? And the argument I'm hearing a lot is that travel managers are saying, look, we now know what we don't need to do, so we're not going to do it again. The, hey, let's go from Atlanta to San Francisco for a 90-minute pitch over, like, and stay overnight and have a super nice dinner with, you know, with, with the client or whatever, that may not happen. You know, I think there will still be a lot of trade associations, so that there will still be group meetings, but I think the one-off, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have this person in the room, you know, versus can we just make it a Zoom or a, or a Teams call? You know, I think the pendulum is swinging towards the technology because the technology has gotten so good, you know, when I was a freshman, we were told, look, let's be clear. Group meetings are going to get seriously, be, are going to get seriously hurt by the coming meetings technology. And it was totally wrong then. You know? mm -hmm. And then 9-11 happened. And we said, oh, we're not going to travel again. And video conferencing is the new normal. And so we're not going to see that. That was wrong then. And then in 2009, we said, oh, we've got to cut travel budgets. And you know, we're not going to travel again. And that was wrong then. But this time around, the tools have gotten so good and we all have to use them all the time that I could see that eating into some group spending. Absolutely. You know, some, but I still think, you know, we're all suffering from Zoom fatigue. Yes. You know, we are. And I don't think it ever replaces that face. I think that you just can't build the same depth and quality of a relationship that you can face to face and you know I, I love technology with the best of them but you know I just don't think that it replaces it you know and I totally agree with that but I think is it going to be all zoom no but is it going to be all personal meeting the way it was in 2018 2019 I think the answer is no as well because we're going to say look is this trip really worth I've gotten hanging out with my family, really enjoying my family, really enjoying being at home, you know, do I really want to be back out on the road a hundred nights? Not me, but, you know, speaking for a road warrior here, you know, a hundred nights a year, you know? So I could see that there is a, a an, that there's gonna have be an impact, but I totally agree with you. The social piece can't be replicated this way. And, you know, Zoom happy hours, it's just not the thing, same thing. <laughs> You're still drinking it's at home. Not. That's, like, that's not. not the same. It's not the same as you and I, the typical road warriors that we are, 
Um, and um, the, the relationship that we've built over the years was, you know, person to person. It's Absolutely. that quality of, of time that it just cannot replace uh, at all. So are there any, as we continue the journey of recovery, and you, you and I know it will recover. It's not that it won't, it will. The unknown is the pace. Mm. That's a billion dollar question, the pace. And then will it level out at a new normal? That let's say, arguably, let's say that it goes to 80% of what it was, um, that it doesn't go to 100%. What do you think are data points that people should focus on? Anything that we haven't talked about that people should focus on as it starts recovering um, versus everything that we've done during the initial phase of the pandemic, the crisis phase versus the recovery phase? So in our forecast, we work with Tourism Economics, Adam Sachs, who, who you know, um, you know, who's one of the smartest guys in the room. Um, and his argument has always been and will continue to be room demand and GDP growth are connected at the hip. You know, you tell me where the American economy goes, I tell you how many people are traveling, you know, within reason. Like, you know, right now at the beginning, it's going to be stiffs and starts, stops and starts. But overall, GDP is the indicator. And they're saying, look, we're in a recession, GDP is dropping this year, but next year it's going to come back. So we actually, and TE is actually saying, the number of rooms sold in 2023 will likely be what we saw in 2019, or like the second quarter of 2023. So we're actually getting, in terms of room demand, back to where we were. What we're not seeing is pricing. You know, we're seeing that room demand is going to drop, you know, 30, 40% or so this year. And that next year room rates are going to increase five, <laughs> you know? So it's going to be a very long, slow room rate recovery. If history is any guide, we have a sample size of two, but both times in 2001 and 2009, we know, or we look back and we can tell that it takes the hotel industry twice as long to recover ADR than it is to cut. So post 9-11, ADR trough, peak to trough down 12 months, trough to next peak, 24 months. Okay. 2009, same thing, it takes 17 months from ADRs to go from peak to trough, 36 months to go from trough to next peak. So it takes twice as long to recover. We're now much steeper further down. So does that relationship still hold? Yeah, maybe we're definitely not at the bottom yet. So it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes before you know, we get to that inflection point and, and, and ADRs are getting less bad. You know, we're not even saying better, just less bad. So that's the wild card. And we're, where we sit today, we don't expect that to happen until 2025. So way far away. So recovery, is GDP driven? Room demand is GDP driven. That's the, that's the key number to look at. Of course, employment matters. And the other number that we haven't talked about yet is international travel. Yes. International travel last month in June, I want to say there were like 35,000 people, you know, that, and, and the month before it was like 20,000 or something. And it's normally 10x that, you know, and the problem is that the U.S. has a bad reputation now. 
right? Because why would you, if you have a leisure dollar to spend and you're from Germany or you're from Denmark or you're from Thailand, and you can spend your dollar or baht or euro anywhere, why would you come to the place where the COVID cases are rapidly increasing? You know, you're saying, no, I'd rather go to Greece. I'd rather go to whatever, Indonesia. I don't know. You know, so, and, and I'm sorry, not even that. A lot of them just staying home, you know, yeah. which is what we're seeing on the leisure side as well. In the U.S., people are going out west. You know, last month, last week, the four states with the four highest occupancies were South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, you know. I never thought I would say that. So the states with the four highest occupancies are the places where there's nothing. It's like, yeah, exactly. That's what people want right now. It's not to be around. So is there any question that I didn't ask you that I, that you can think of that I should have asked you with some responses? Anything that we missed? Um, so in 2007, we had a lot of new supply coming in. Okay. In 2019, we had the highest, strongest in construction pipeline ever recorded. You know, it actually peaked uh, in, in May of this year. So 220,000 rooms in construction. What's gonna happen to the new competition? And the answer is in the short run, those projects will open. But then just like in 2008 and nine, we're not going to backfill the projects that go from in construction to open with projects that are in final planning and then need to go in construction. A lot of owners will say, you know what? I have my land, I have my loan, I have my franchise agreement, and I'm not so sure that this is the time to break ground. So we're probably not going to backfill the new construction pipeline. The upside of that is that there's not a lot of new competition coming four year or five years from now. You know, and as I just said, we think that by then, you know, the industry will be doing pretty well again, partly because all those travelers only have the existing hotels to go to. There's not going to be a lot of new rooms. So that's something to watch. And that's also something to know if you're the buyer, you know, we're not building big boxes, you know, we're not building ballrooms. We're building limited service hotels, bed and a bath for a buck and a half, as Ian e. Steller said, you know, in the 1910s. Um, and that's, it's easy to clean, you know, easy to staff, easy to build, but we're not building the large full service upper upscale properties anyways. And now if some of those are closing permanently, there's gonna be a crunch. So if you're thinking as a buyer, especially as a group meeting planner, today and tomorrow, yeah, you gotta figure out how to survive. The next two or three years, you'll be in the driver's seat, but make no mistake, you know, you're gonna have a hard time finding ballroom space in 2023 and four and five, just because we're not building it. Time flies by because you always have such incredible, incredible insights into, you know, what's going on in this space. Thank you. So I know that you are in great demand. The fact that you took time out is personally, I cannot thank you enough. Okay. Um, truly, um, you're a great friend and also fellow geek of data. 